What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Jin Chan, the creative director behind the upcoming game known as Undying. Jin, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. I was super excited about having you on because I've seen this game before and I've I've heard uh, kind of talk around this and it's it's definitely one that interests me as far as the story goes. But before we actually dive into the game, we always like to kick it off with getting to know the people behind these games themselves. Sure. So can you tell us a little bit about you know your background? Tell us how you got into the games industry in the first place. Uh, my journey into the games industry was a long one. Um, <laughs> I think, well, for everyone is nearly, it's, it's, it's always long. Um, right. So, but when I f- finished, uh, so in, I'm from Canberra, Australia. And so the, mm-hmm. how high school and college, and we don't have middle school. So it's like primary school, high school, and then college mm-hmm. is year 11 and 12. So it's very confusing. But after hmm. I finished college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I'm really into drawing comics and stuff like that. So I decided uh-huh. to go to art school. Um, majoring in um, drawing and print media Um, but after studying that for about two years and that's like a four-year course I just decided it wasn't for me and then I sort of dropped out and then I had to like didn't know what I wanted to do with my life Um, so there was about a year there where I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do and then um, it was actually my mom she's like why don't you just do a course at the AIE and so the AIE is the um, the Academy of Interactive Entertainment which is mm-hmm. a, a, a 3D film and video game college that mm-hmm. we have here in Australia. And I think it's it's sort of expanded. So there's three campuses in Australia now and two campuses in the US. Um, oh, very cool. And so she's like, that's more in line with what you wanted to do. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so that, that was a two-year course and I ended up doing um, 3D art um, uh, specializing in in video games so you can do it 3d right. art special like specializing in film or in video games and so yeah i did it in video games and among that as well as part of like um, game design and game theory and all that sort of stuff um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i finished that and then i was like okay let's try and get a job in the games industry and so i spent about a year in australia trying to find something that suited me and uh, that was tough um, because this was just after the global financial crisis or like a, a little bit oh. after. And that basically yeah. killed the video games industry in Australia. Um, mm. What what happened was we had a booming video games industry. And, what, um, and that was because a lot of companies in the US like EA and 2K and stuff like that were outsourcing their work to Australia because mm-hmm. the exchange rate was really good. So for like every one US dollar, that was two Australian dollars. Oh, wow. Okay. And then during the global financial crisis, the government at the time actually dealt with the um, with the crisis really well. And we didn't actually go in recession. So what ended up happening was that um, uh, one US dollar ended up being 50 Australian cents. And um, oh, so, so they didn't want to outsource anymore because you were more expensive now. Yeah crazy expensive we just <laughs> quadrupled our pricing oh, and man. so a lot of these studios ended up closing down and so there wasn't really much left here in australia um you know there are a few companies konami has like an office here but they only do um slot machines like for the mm-hmm. actual casinos and stuff like that 
Right. And then um, the only jobs I was able to get and the only interviews I was able to get was to do artwork for slot machines. And I did oh, those geez. interviews. But um, I think deep down inside, like even if I got the job, I don't know if I could take it. Like right. I'm actively working on a product that possibly ruining somebody's life. Yeah. And I think it's funny now when you think about the games industry and like microtransactions and in-game gambling, but like that was real, real actual gambling. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's a struggle. Like, it, I don't know how I would feel about doing that either. Yeah, because like you're, you're, the job is do something that's addictive and mm-hmm. have like force somebody to put more money into a machine. Right. Um, so I didn't end up getting any of those jobs. Um, but like I said, even if I did, I don't know if I would have accepted it anyway. Um, and so I actually grew up in China when I was young. My mom was, um, working at the Australian embassy there. Hmm. And so I can speak Chinese and, um, you can probably tell by my name. It's very Chinese. I actually have Chinese heritage, but that's a long story. But, um, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, what made sense to me at the time was why don't I go to China? China has a huge gaming industry and Mm -hmm. somebody like myself we might have a unique skill set because the chinese industry is like it's in in its own bubble like Mm. um it it, it's completely different from everything else and so the mindset there in terms of design and artwork is very china and so i thought to myself well maybe i might bring a new perspective to that and that would eventually get me hired so i um moved to china um but i needed to get a working visa when i got there so i initially started working as an english teacher which is the easiest job for a foreigner to get in china and so i taught little kids for a couple years and that was actually really fun but um, not very creatively fulfilling um and then i ended up working um as an intern at a really small indie studio called substantial games it's only had about five people at the time Mm -hmm. um and they were working on like a mobile like ipad and ios game called amber conflict um and so i was i was brought on as a designer um and so i worked there until the game launched um and it did fairly well at the beginning but um it just didn't get enough users unfortunately and then eventually um substantial games sort of disappeared and i sort of was teaching again and trying to figure out what i wanted to do Mm. um and then i ended up working at um uh like a mobile game studio in china a massive one one that makes like millions of dollars a day based on microtransactions and stuff like that um i won't name the company but right yeah basically back at the casino yes basically back at the casino but it was a little bit more fun (laughs) right (laughs) um and, and and things happened there and I ended up moving on. Um, and uh, one of the guys that I worked with at Substantial, the art director there, remembered me and sent me a message saying, I'm working at a new studio. We're working on this VR title. Um, do you want to come work on it? Um, and I was like, yep, yeah, sure. And I moved over there um, and I was working on a, a game. I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of it. It's called Carnage Chronicles VR. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, yeah, so I was working on that as QA, but I was also brought on as a designer. And so there was a another project we were working on in the background, which I was helping with. 
Um, but that eventually they decide to focus all their thing or all their attention on Carnage Chronicles VR. Um, and so that was put on the back burner and it's still on the back burner to this day. But um, hmm. uh, eventually, um, uh, Kuhn, the founder of Vanimals, found me and um, said, um, we need somebody with with my skill set and like exactly what i was saying when i yep. when i made the decision to go there is that you know i have this western mindset um i have a mm-hmm. different point of view that um maybe chinese developers might have and he he wanted that from me he's like we need you not only because we need we're struggling to speak to community we need somebody who can understand like you know sometimes their english is very good but sometimes there's subtleties in english that they don't they something yeah. might seem offensive but it's actually not offensive and because yeah, English yeah, is a yeah. really hard language to understand. Um, so we d- they needed somebody like that desperately. But they also wanted somebody with a different kind of mindset to work at the company and come up with unique ideas. And so I guess I was that person. And so this ended up becoming like a match made in heaven in some sort, in, in some sense. Um, and awesome. so then I, yeah, it is awesome. And then I went over there, worked on Eternity Warriors VR for a while um yeah and then um shortly after that game launched into early access we got um 10 cent knocking on our doors saying um we're looking for um a team to develop an educational game for the forbidden city and Mm -hmm. they were they were like um shooting out feelers to lots of different studios indie studios in beijing or not in beijing in china in general um saying give us your pitches and so i ended up coming up with a pitch which is like a it's like a snake puzzle game (laughs) okay so the the rules are very similar to snake in the sense that when you 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 can't stop once you pick up an item there'll be like something added to your tail so um the way we did it was um you're a builder and then there will be like uh resources on the floor so the ones we had were metal wood and stone mm-hmm. and so you sort of pick them up and then you'll have these little helpers spirit helpers um ch- which were based on um 12 different chinese spirits and they would help you pick up the thing and then you sort of make a snake with all your resources and then we have um shapes that you have to make in your snake like on the on the map and then once you made that shape with the right amount of resources, then you'd build that thing. So the idea was that you're building the Forbidden City. Gotcha. Um, That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's, uh, I wish it's a game that people could play outside of China, but unfortunately you can't. But I actually love it. Like, I think we came <laughs> up with some of the coolest puzzles. Um, it's hard to do just talking on audio, but like, if you can imagine, right, um, like there's tight corridors, but you need to build something in the middle and so if you build it too early, then you can't go back to the other side. So you might need resources on the right because if you mm-hmm. crash into anything, you'll die. So once you build it, then it's a crash, like it's an obstacle. And so mm-hmm. you have to figure out, oh, I'm going to collect these resources in what order and stuff like that. So it, it ended up being really fun. Um, hmm. And from what Tencent said, that was, a, that was their most successful educational game to this day. We had like 2 million active users. Wow, um, that's impressive. Yeah, like this is all blowing my mind. Um, <laughs> and so, and I think, yeah, that sort of was like 
me like saying like this this is why i'm here right like it was like a validation yeah, yeah. from my right. whole journey to this place and so after that then we started undying and i guess the, here we are today i guess we'll talk about more about undying but yeah right. that was my yeah so long journey that was awesome and what it like man that's a lot of things first yeah. off for uh for your background but it obviously makes sense and it, it is nice because you get that rewarding feeling of i made something that was that popular or was that impressive or just even creating something that worked out that well it is a shame that obviously someone like myself will never be able to see it or at least can't see it as of to date but uh i think it's really cool where you're at right now though is the creative director correct me if i'm wrong mm -hmm. for undying yep. so yes. this this sounds like a very fancy title uh what's your main role on the team so as creative director i sort of look over a lot um game design art music i sort of have my hands in every single piece of the pie um mm -hmm. and i think my role here is sort of making sure that the game is going in the right direction creatively and then everything is coherently going into that direction right. um right so that that's sort of like the quick way of saying it but like i do a lot of stuff um yeah, i also sure. do game design stuff so we have three designers including myself um and so there are new concepts and usually the game design concepts that i'm doing on are like fairly unique right um, there are a lot of mm -hmm. things that we can use other games as reference, but sometimes there are none of those references. And so I usually get the first tackle on it. And so my designs are usually quite, I guess the word I'm thinking of is floaty, right? Like there's not that many details in right. there. More like high level so that they can kind of put the pieces together once yeah. it's... And so then right. what I usually, yeah, I usually do that. And then another designer will look at it and then break it down into multiple parts and like more detail and then they right. hand it over to our programmers and then they can sort of put it together. Um, gotcha. So yeah, a lot of like weird decisions, uh, the weird designs come from myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, when we know there's some uh, interesting loops and turns in the game, we'll have uh, you to thank and or blame for, I suppose. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're now working on Undying, obviously, which I can't wait to get my hands on it looks super interesting i love the story idea of it for those who might not know can you give me a little elevator pitch sort of of just you know what is this game why should audiences or our audience be excited about it so this is a zombie survival game and just saying that is not very exciting but where <laughs> i think this um game is special is that you're playing as a mother mm -hmm. who at the very beginning of the game is bitten by a zombie and she's going to turn so you already know the fate of the character you're playing as. But there's a twist that she, ha she has her son with her and she is doing everything that she can to make sure that her son will survive after she turns. Um, right. So I think the cool thing about Undying is that in most games you're sort of building your character, but in this game you're mm -hmm. building the secondary character. Mm -hmm. Anlings, who is the mother, her skills are maxed basically at the very beginning of the game and you have to try and build up the skills of cody your son and he he yeah and he gains skills by watching you do things so every time you cook his his xp for cooking goes up every time you fight then his he'll start learning how to fight 
um, every time you pick up objects, you'll go, okay, maybe I can start picking up objects on my, myself. And so you sort of start with this very annoying partner character at the very beginning, but then he ends up growing more and more useful. And it's, yeah, that's sort of where we're going with this. Um, and we also really wanted to tell, like a, do a survival game with like a really strong emotional hook, you mm -hmm. know, cause a lot of them are just survive and yeah. Yeah, it's exciting because you're surviving, but this one, you, there's that emotional hook. And since it's like a motherly love sort of thing, it's like everyone understands it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's honestly, that's the reason why I'm so excited for this game is less about the, the whole zombie survival part, but more yeah. about this story that you're trying to tell, because I think it is very unique as far as the, the story. And I don't know that you're the right person to ask of this just because uh, I, I know there's a lot of people to the team and maybe this wasn't originating from you. But still, I, I like to know, especially if you do know the origin story of it, where where did the whole idea of this come from as far as trying to put that emotion into this motherly loves type of story um the emotion came uh, the, the, the the idea came from the company founder kun who's who's also the project lead on mm -hmm. undying um he he from the very beginning wanted to do an emotional zombie survival game mm -hmm. um and initially it wasn't this mother-son thing it was you're a parent. I can't remember if you were a father or a mother originally, but like your children were missing in a zombie apocalyptic world. Oh. And then you, you wanted to go searching for them. Mm -hmm. And then I think in the original pitch, he had ideas that like, depending on how long it took you to go there, there might've already been a zombie or something. And ended up, we oh. ended up thinking that that was a bit too dark, you know, like, right. Yeah. Especially when something happens to the children like i think you can mm. you can deal with it more if it was an adult like so if it was like somebody's brother or sister missing and then right like that might still be an emotional gut punch but it's not as bad as seeing your own child um so we ended up retooling it and so that's where like i came in sort of like brainstorming ideas and eventually we i can't remember how we got there because it's mm -hmm. lots right. of meetings and everything melt melds together but we eventually came on uh, in up with this concept though the original version of this concept is also very different to what we ended up having um and oh, that was based based purely on we're a very small team um we have about 10 people so right um initially it was like you know bethesda levels of like you know uh what is it dialogue trees and stuff like that like the idea was that you like mm -hmm, scouting out mm -hmm. people that you could leave your son with um but yeah, that, oh, that, that kind of that kind of stuff is like thinking about it was like, oh my god, there's no way we could do right. this. Like, how do you It'd take like, forever? Yeah, because we're thinking like ideas like you could sort of like watch people from afar and then go like, oh, they're not psychos, and like, <laughs> <laughs> it was just way too much. And so we just brought it back to something similar. But you know, the emotional hook was still there, and everyone yeah. immediately attaches to that concept. So yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, you don't want to don't want to make it too ambitious and end up, you know, never being able to release the game. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we we try to bring things back to make it less ambitious, but like still, there's a lot of very ambitious stuff in here. Right. Yeah. No, I'm sure, but it's you have to you know pick and choose your battles there as to what's going to stay and what just can't be viable. Yeah. That being said, uh, this is deemed as a survival game, right? Yeah. This is when you think of it. Uh, it seems to, from what I've seen for the demo be very 
what you would attribute to a survival game uh things like you need to eat you need to drink what for you and for the team what was the the reasoning behind i guess putting this as a survival game um couldn't our uh the lead he was very adamant i think i think in a lot of ways survival games you can get a lot of bang for your buck like mm -hmm. depending on how well you develop it it you know it you can push it to like a 10 hour 20 hour game and it's based right. on the player play style like if we did a purely story driven game then we have to come up with like 15 hours of actual story and cutscenes and stuff like that right, right um and then also the idea that this is like the player's journey like the i think a really cool thing about survival games in general are that if if two friends are playing the game then each experience is slightly different like you're like oh i did this and then i i did you know i went hunting over here and it's like oh wait you can go hunting over here it's way easier you know that sort of <laughs> it's not there's not the exact same experience and everyone sort of talks about it and so right yeah we thought you know that sort of worked for us and um you, you can have a deep story without with the content itself being story light that's the way we've sort of it's like it's there's a story there but it's story light it's not we're not pushing the players through like this happens first then this happens and then this happens and then this happens right yeah. yeah no i really like it it gives you that that ability to tell almost a different story with the same pieces and yeah. that experience or that sharing creates a community as you were talking about of someone being excited that they didn't know they could hunt in that area or they couldn't do X, Y, Z. And it makes them go back and, and it adds that replayability to the game. So I think it's very smart the way you approach this. Yeah, and there's really, there's other interesting things that came up as well when through the process of like, should this be a survival game? And then one of the things is, I don't know if you've noticed through the demos, you can't actually see Cody's stats. So like in most survival games, right. you know how hungry you are, you know um, how thirsty you are and how much you can't actually see his stats you actually have to ask him because the yeah. way that like you know when you have somebody next to you you don't know how hungry they are unless they tell you and so um we thought this that's sort of like this really cool thing that player has to keep in the back of mind i have a kid to look after and i need to make sure that i'm looking after this kid right um yeah and so you don't quite know how hungry he is um hmm. and so that's why we have that yeah you go ask him and then he'll have like a bubble pop up above his head with what you would have seen on the ui but yeah mm -hmm. um yeah i i like that idea because it, it is different i didn't notice i know when i was watching some of the demo i noticed that there was the option to check on cody yeah and it, it was one of those things where i looked at it and i was like that's interesting but i it didn't click for me like that same type of you don't know how hungry the person is next to you i think that is a very interesting fact is it going to be something in the game where say you forget about cody right you go through a full day and you haven't fed cody is there going to be this portion of time where he says something or he gives he will. some once type he gets, of reaction yeah once he gets really hungry he will tell you um gotcha. but we also have like a mood system so mm. um it will affect his mood the less you care about him the his mood will worsen and then he'll actually be less reliable um, so if you ask him to cook something, because once he gotcha. has enough skills, you can, uh, he was like, I don't want to do that. I don't know. So you don't want oh, that to happen. That's to funny. Him. He becomes yeah. a little brat. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, if you ignore him, he will. <laughs> right. No, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have noticed that just from the demo. So I'm glad I'm glad we, we talked a little bit about that. As far as talking about Cody, uh, that same point, I noticed that you had a few perks to pick at the start of the game. And originally, I thought that was for your actual character, like the mother that you're playing as. But you're telling me that your your max stats, you're actually picking for then Cody, I would assume. No, you and... actually are picking for the mother. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But so like, but you can't distribute more stats. So like, for example, she had a hundred stats. They've already right. been distributed for you. So that that's sort oh, of what I, I meant by max stats. Yeah. I understand. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. So I do want to go into that a little bit uh, because what are like the main advantages? There was, I believe, it was something to the nature of strength and crafting and and survivability. Uh, I don't know if those were the exact ones, but it was something to the nature yeah, of it's, those it's, were it's the combat, um, um, survival, which is like, yeah, crafting and like uh scavenging and then there mm -hmm. was um uh wait now i've lost it was <laughs> that's like okay fire, uh, yeah firearms yeah with, right with guns it was better with guns yeah but at the same time when you're putting that I, I assume so this is for your main character this is what you're playing as is there is is there uh more or less a right way to to, to be able to teach cody I, i'm thinking about like long term of what the game implies is you're you're trying to teach your son is there something where the the mechanic might change based on those choices you pick or is it really just going to be hey you're better to survive or better to fight in these situations and you'll probably teach him better because you're just you're better at that specific thing um for those things are always changing so um we're, gotcha. we're still looking into that but at the moment the way that it's sort of to sort of get the player off on their sort of gameplay style so if they like to fight more then this skill will help them there mm -hmm. um and then in in turn that will eventually mean that like so if you pick the um uh firearm or the, the combat uh style at the very beginning chances are cody's combat will be better because you'll be engaging combat a lot more right. um so it's sort of i think yeah it's a weird thing like we're still it's still being fine-tuned and so i can't say if that will be in the game at the end um right yeah i mean it's a unique mechanic that's a little bit challenging to, to it is come up with also since because um you can't then modify anling stats like it's actually hard to tell like a lot of players have said like we can't really tell the difference between any of these because you can't it's it's funny uh, when you I when see. everything's sort of invisible and then the player doesn't say oh this stat is actually this they, they don't actually know how the right. points have been distributed like it yeah it's hard to tell it's funny like when you have like an rpg system and then there's like actual stats there like players will be like oh well that must be it um mm -hmm. but when you hide it from them they it's very hard to tell and so it it's a, seems to be a very subtle change and so it, it definitely needs work and so hmm. yeah it yeah it's something we'll be looking at more into but at the moment it sort of serves at a base for the player to go like oh i like to fight more so i'll use this right. one um yeah that but, makes sense and uh, yeah. obviously it's it's ever evolving and as we get closer to whatever it is your release date is you'll probably have a better understanding of, of what that becomes. But I, yep. I think it was still one of those points where I saw it and I was, I was interested just to see 
kind of where your team's head was at around that. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting because because we're a very collaborative um, team. Everybody's spitting in ideas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people in the studio think that sort of, oh, that's the roadmap of how I'm going to trade up my Cody. And then some right. people say, yeah. this is the this is the way I'm going to do it so that I will get Cody to do other things while I focus on this. So like people oh, sort of look at it differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And so at the moment, yeah, we are either trying to make it clearer to the player or make it more obvious. I, I'm not sure yet. It might, it's definitely evolving that, that portion of it, but at the moment, right. it's, yeah. Yeah. I think, and it's interesting too, because my first thought when you said that was, uh, about having to make it more clear, there's also an argument that I think could be made of saying, well, no, depending on the direction you go, obviously, but it might just be more of how you want to, to, realize this do you want to take those points because you think that's going to help cody and obviously this more is dependent on what the end game looks like and what the main objective is but i could see both styles of thinking working depending on how you actually execute the the game plan yeah yeah absolutely but it, yeah. it is it is it is like um it's just us experimenting at this point um right makes sense so hopefully hopefully in uh if we talk again in a few months, then I'll have a more definitive answer based on. I, well, <laughs> all right. In in a few more months, I'll be I'll be ready to talk with you, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll get down to the bottom of it. But for now, we'll move on to to, to something different, just because this is obviously still in development, still being oh, yeah. baked. Let's talk a little bit, uh, elaborating a little bit on kind of this mechanic of Cody learning. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, first off, I think it's super interesting the way that works, but kind of and you might not even know the this just because like you said things are kind of evolving but what's the end goal here like when we're thinking about this the main objective for the game seems to be teaching your son to prepare him to be ready for the real world uh or whatever it is the real world that exists there with these zombies uh attacking yep. is this going to be something where you you might fail you know like you're gonna play this game and then you see him not be prepared or something where you play this game out and then that's kind of where it ends, where it's, did you do well enough to train him and, and prepare him? Um, so there is a definitive ending in our game. Um, mm -hmm. There is, so th the goal is they're trying to so, like survive it out until um, rescue eventually comes. Okay. Um, and so what we're sort of trying to build is that the way Anling is thinking is that she can't survive for that long. Right. And so you're sort of building up Cody till the point where she's no longer part of the picture and then he has to survive for himself until that gotcha. point. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah, there was a lot of talk about like, should the game just end when Anling dies and then we sort of just give people a write-up of, oh, well then Cody went on to live till he's 20. And <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but there's so many different variables there and we think at, in a lot of ways actually seeing how Cody uh goes firsthand is probably a bit more satisfying so gotcha. yeah um i think me saying that can kind of like i don't want to say it fully but it, yep, i think people no, can I, come I to the conclusion what of what ends up happening yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 that makes sense and i think that's a better way to do it anyway if i am understanding you correctly just yeah. because like you said having being able to see that firsthand is a little bit more impactful and it also makes you really feel like 
you know, that character died, so to speak. It's not just like, that's the it, and we go on from there. We get to see that realization of the mother becoming that whatever she turns into. Yeah, yeah. And I so, think that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, um, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, 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 I had nothing else to say. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All good. Uh, so I just wanted to discuss a little bit about the idea of having these two characters as well, because I, I can only imagine that this must be mechanically demanding as far as taking these different actions unless you're not as much controlling Cody in the moment. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what those actions will look like as far as having to control two characters at once? So you are basically only playing as the mother. Okay. Um, she can tell him what to do. So ah, okay. So you don't you don't have any control over him. So you're not telling him where to walk like so if there's something to pick up um so they have two different um, inventory slots. Mm -hmm. So if, if, for example, there's something on the floor and you want to pick it up, but your bag is full, you can then press this. So Cody has basically his own button. Gotcha. Um, okay. And then that will get Anling to say, Cody, come pick this up. He'll run over there and pick it up. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's sort of how it works. So you could sort of tell him what to do, but then eventually as his skills start developing and... Um, he'll start doing things on his own. So he might start picking up things on his own. So you don't have to keep telling him. Right. Um, okay. Interesting. And so like if you're crafting, for example, if he has enough skills, then you can call him over to help you craft, which means that both of you, you'll, you'll use up less stamina and mm -hmm. um, okay. yeah. And it will also happen faster. Right. So yeah, you're, you're controlling only the mother and then he is an AI thing. So he'll start doing things on his own gotcha. and he'll get distracted okay, that... by things and, um, right. stuff like that yeah that makes more sense in development there was actually um like a button to switch between them um right but what ended up what we ended up thinking is that like, well this is sort of my main point so this was me jumping as the creative director and like i think we got to change this because if you can control cody he's no longer a child like he doesn't think like right. a child he thinks like an adult because an adult's playing the game and uh -huh. so like he ends up being smarter than he probably would be at that point right. in time. So I'm like, he's got to be an AI. Um, and so then we really started focusing like you just play as one character with who can command the other character to do stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that makes more sense. And it was when I was looking at it, I, I was thinking, man, survival games can be challenging on their own, just in their own nature. But then you put in having to control two separate people during this whole endeavor, I was like, oh, that, that might be a little, uh, not frustrating, but just very demanding at times. Yeah. Yeah, and also we looked at um, this War of Mine as inspiration because um, okay. in, tonally it's very similar. But that mm -hmm. one you're sort of playing like the God view. You're looking, you're, you're controlling a whole bunch of players. And then we thought that that would also sort of have an emotional detachment from right. each of these characters' relationships. So we think putting you as the mother was sort of what we wanted emotionally and in terms of gameplay. Right. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit now about the actual time of this game. So in the demo, it seemed like you had four in-game days before the story ended uh, as far as like the, the demo ended. Mm -hmm. But there were mentioned that the rescue would come until I believe it was five days. 
as as far as the story goes, how much more do you anticipate will be in this game when it fully releases? How long do you anticipate as well that the this will take from say start to finish if someone's playing the game? Um, so it's going to be way more days than that. Um, <laughs> okay. We're we're currently tossing up between thirty and forty five days. Oh, okay. Um, and we're hoping that like to get to the end, like with a successful playthrough, would be about. 10 hours that's that's what we're sort of hitting for um but your play sessions could obviously be shorter than that because it's sort of like a rogue rogue like in the sense that once you die you start again or like gotcha okay yeah you get to the point where like there's even if you have a save point you'll be like there's no way i can survive to the next day because i haven't managed things again so i have to start again um right okay so we're hoping there's a lot of replay value in that in that in that sense um, right. And then with that time limit, you can sort of get the idea that there's no way that Anling is going to get to that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> uh, that is very true. Um, it, it's interesting that you bring up that uh, that roguelike kind of element to it because this was one of my concerns: is not everyone is a survival game player. Mm -hmm. or will kind of have issues with those mechanics because it might be too difficult for them as far as managing everything. Um, Especially now that that this is something that they would have to potentially retry. Is there going to be anything like a, let's say like an accessibility mode where it's just more for the story? So someone who wants to see kind of that emotional journey but might not be able to get through certain places, is is that going to be something that the team uh, develops? I think that's definitely on the cards. That's just d- data balancing on our part. Like once mm-hmm. once the game's finished, in theoretically, it shouldn't be that hard for us to say mm-hmm. like, okay, this is easy mode, this is hard mode, this is endless mode. Um, right. Yeah. So um, it's definitely something we'll be thinking about because obviously there are people who just want to play it for the story. Um, right. But then in that sense, also the... Um, if it's too easy, then that emotional attachment to these characters is not as strong. Like you're not actually struggling. Right, yeah. And so you want the player to actually struggle to manage everything. So it, it's a tough balance, but it is something that we can do. And like, we're very open to feedback and we're very quick to change things. So um, our last, the last alpha we did out, our second closed alpha, we were mm-hmm. making updates every day based wow. on the feedback yeah. we were getting on discord and stuff like that um it's awesome so you know we can conti- we want to continue that um going forward uh, especially once the game's actually released and so if people are saying like this game is too hard this game is too hard us putting an easy mode in would be in, like an easy answer to be like okay we'll do this. this is what people want we want people to right. play our game we don't want people to say like oh this is too hard i don't want to play it so yeah yeah, um, yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah, no, that's good. And I, I do agree with that, though, because that's kind of why I raised the point is, yes, you should have, in my eyes, some type of accessibility for that, for the people who just want to see the story. But it is kind of a struggle because you are losing that that emotion, right, of a lot of the story is the struggle of them trying to survive. So how much does it really mean to the person if they don't also experience that? Yeah. So it is very challenging, but I'm glad to hear that the team is is considering it anyway. Obviously, you know, who knows what might happen. Um, 
kind of jumping to your whole point on like feedback and and I saw that you did have a couple of uh, alpha testers and people who who helped out. Is this going to be something where the game launches in say early access or is this going to be more of you're you're planning on doing like a, a an alpha beta phase kind of before it fully releases? Initially, if you see our original like when we first uh, announced the game, we we mentioned it was going into early access. I think it's changed. Mm-hmm. I think um, we now have a that at that time we didn't have a publisher on board, and now we have gotcha. Skystone Games publishing us. Um, yeah. So that helps us out a lot. Um, and so this, I think this is going to be the second option. So we'll have multiple alphas and multiple betas, and then by the time it launches, that is the full version of the game. But that doesn't mean we're not going to be continue updating continue changing yep. continue rebalancing yep. it um, but it's going to be more of a finished product than say an early access um very cool so okay. then again things things could change um right, so right. currently the plan is is that um it should be launching as a full version of the game yeah okay perfect uh and then as far as launching i i recently heard just thinking of the the platforms that this is going to be on i heard and oh, i yeah. think it was some kind of q a from from I, I believe it was that alpha test uh mm-hmm. q a and there was there was some mention to a number of consoles that this was on that it would be on pc and one of the things that i thought was interesting is you specifically mentioned xbox and playstation but not a specific console type oh, is yeah. this something where you're considering going towards the next gen version maybe just next gen like what does this look like because i know your your release date is a little bit out in the future so that might be closer or it will be when those consoles are out um it's hard to say right um Mm -hmm. but from from what we understand is that especially with next gen if you make a game for this gen it works on next gen um right okay so if we make a playstation 4 game it will be able to be played on playstation 5 because they are backwards compatible with Mm -hmm. one generation um, and then with Xbox, it's just Xbox now. I think um, you know, they've they. I think they've said quite publicly that like everything ever being played on an Xbox can be played on any Xbox sort of thing. So that will, yeah. From from now on, I think you'll find you'll see that a lot of developers will just say Xbox instead of saying Xbox Very One cool. Series, whatever. They'll they'll have optimized right, for, right. but it doesn't. But yeah. it's just an Xbox game. Um, okay. PlayStation's a little bit iffy, but th- the theory we're going for is that if it's a PlayStation 4 game, it's also a PlayStation 5 game. Okay. All right. So, I mean, obviously to be determined. To be determined. And also, like, we have no idea how many people will have those consoles by then. And so, like, if we need to do a special version for it, then I'm sure it's not that big of a jump for us. But we want to hit everything. So. Yeah, I mean, that was my initial concern is like, especially when these new consoles come out, you obviously want to be a part of that. But the consideration is, well, a lot of people aren't going to jump to that next gen console right away. So it would make sense to even if you didn't have it on, you know, the PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X or X, that it would be on those later generations just so you could have more of an audience because a lot more people will have a PS4 than they do a PS5 at the start. But yeah. That being said, um, on the same note, I know you guys are still in development. I know there's still a lot that's going on. 
the last thing that I've seen is a current release date of 2021. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to tell you like, Oh, you know, when will you be ready? Cause obviously you're not going to have that information, nor would you probably tell me if you did. But that, that being said, I just want to kind of get a feel for, you know, how's, how's development going? How do you, how is the team, uh, just doing on the front of feeling confident in, in hitting sometime in 2021? What has that been like? Um, it's been good. Um, I think after our, uh, we had our first alpha, like uh, two or three months ago, and then we just finished our last alpha last month. And based on that, we think we're heading in the right direction and things are picking up momentum. Like um, more things are getting solidified and like we're going, okay, yeah, this is the way we're going to do it. Or gotcha. if something's not working, we now go, okay, we now know what we need to do. Um, so in terms of development, what we have internally, we're going to meet that. Um, but yeah, since we have a publisher now, they don't want us to talk about um, yeah, of course, all these sort of things. But I can, I can hint that it will be earlier 2021 rather than later 2021. Oh, that's um, great to hear. Okay. Um, so I can say that range. That's still a lot. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> it's all good. I I didn't even expect anything more than just sometime in 2021, and development is either good or bad. So that's more than I was expecting. I yeah. am glad to hear that things are going well, though. Yeah, things are going well and, you know, we want to get it out to people as much as possible. But, you know, new consoles are throwing a spanner in the works. Um, it's, yeah. it's, you know, there's so much hype around them and stuff like that. So, uh, it, you know, we don't want to be drowned out. I think it's very easy for us indies. Like, we have to try and find yeah. that window. It's like, okay, this is our week. And then something's like, oh, now, now Xbox Series Z will be announced that week. And you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just give us give yeah. us one week, please. I know. You can't you can't plan for it. You just never know what's gonna come out. No, especially since um they're playing things close to the chest very close now. Like yeah. what two weeks before the game uh consoles go on pre order, you give us price? Like that's insane. Right. Insane. Yeah, I, I don't it's uh this is definitely a weird year. These are weird times all around. <laughs> not not just games considering, but for sure, I cannot believe that it took this long for us to know more about these consoles. Um, I know that you're probably obviously a, a very busy individual. For you, it's super early in the morning and I know you wanna get your day actually started. So I won't take up much more of your time, but I do like to wrap up these with one final question. Sure. Uh, I always like to hear the advice from those that are in the indie space themselves. So for those listening who might be interested in maybe starting their own project or just getting into the game space, what are some tips or some things that you personally would have loved to know before getting to where you are now? Um, well, I think uh, like one thing is don't try and do it alone, especially if you're trying to do something like if you just want to start something yourself. I think it's very tempting to just do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. um, try and find people who are like minded and want to work on similar things as you and then you can sort of bounce off ideas. Um, so that that's one thing. But the other thing is, you know, I think something that I ended up doing that a lot of people don't do, which is broaden your horizons. Like, um, when I said earlier, I started in Australia, couldn't find anything. And then I went to China because I knew that, that that opened up more opportunities for me. I think a lot of people don't do that second part. They sort of right. look around them and then give up. 
or try and do something themselves and then realize how hard it is to do something. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, what I, I definitely say like, look at other countries. Like if, if, hmm. if you live, um, you know, somewhere where there's like no video game industry, you know, consider moving and it's, it's a big decision to make and it's a scary one, especially if you don't know another language. Um, right. but you know, you don't necessarily have to go to a country where you can't speak. Like if you're in an English speaking country, you can go to the U S or the UK or something like that. Just, just, and, and things take time. Like I think a lot of people can get very impatient. <laughs> um, I was in China for two years before I ended up sort of actually working in the games industry. Right. Um, and how I ended up working in the games industry is that I looked up for events for like, um, you know, game, like every single city I guarantee, or maybe not every single city, but like all across every single country, there are definitely game development meetups. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I would search those on Facebook and go like, you know, what's, what's the closest game dev meetup? And they're usually things that happen every month. I know for artists, they like to have drink and drawers. And so there'll be like <laughs> posts every month, like we're going to be at this bar. Everyone who comes, they do the same for game dev where they usually just have a bar. And, and when you go there, you don't necessarily have to talk about game development, but just sort of make connections and start becoming friends with these people. And they'll invite you to stuff. And the, the way that I ended up getting at substantial games is that I, me and a buddy in Beijing were working on a physical card game and we just made mm -hmm. like a little demo and I went to the game dev meetup with my demo of my physical card game. And then the, the, the head of the studio really liked how, you know, into game development I was that I was like, I couldn't make video, I can't make video games on my own. Like right. it's, <laughs> people ask me programming questions like, look, I just write it on a piece of paper and then I pass it over to the guy who makes it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, um, just having that there and like showing somebody, look, this is something that I'm actively working on mm -hmm. is yeah, is a way to go. Like you just, you have to get yourself out there and, and I get it because a lot of people in the games industry are very um, uh, reclusive people. Like they don't want to talk to other people. They'd rather just hang out online or like meeting face to face is really hard for these for a lot of these people. Mm -hmm. They're very shy and you just got to get yourself out there. Um, yeah. And that's that's the biggest thing. If you already have the passion and you already have the skill, then make sure people see that passion and make sure people see that skill. That, yeah, it's yeah, it's very true. Connections are super important, and I, I think it makes sense to to be very more or less humble about your own strengths and weaknesses, and finding others to fill in those weaknesses so that you can just focus on your strengths. I yeah. think that makes a, a ton of sense. Um, for those listening, Undying is currently in development, and as we talked about, hopefully comes out earlyish. You know, first half of 2021. We'll see what happens. Uh, no, we'll no promises, but that's what we're hoping for. Um, but it'll be coming out for, I believe, Switch, Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. Uh, PC specifically for Steam. So if you do want to get a head start, you can go ahead and wishlist the game on Steam. Uh, once again, Jin, thank you so much for coming on today, and best of luck with the game. Awesome. I just want to say one more thing. It's also oh, coming to Android and iOS. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, you so heard it here. We're getting everything. You... We're getting everything. But, um... I know you really are. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All yeah. right. Well, like I said, best of luck with the game. Thanks again for coming on.
Thank you so much. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Oh, oh, oh,